Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. The Playhouse and That's Not Kind of Productions acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we are recording this show today and all surrounding areas where we live, learn, and work. We also pay our respects to elders past, present, and emerging. Studio, 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 with the mics. Oh mics, my god! Mics. It sounds so good, good, good. Playhouse back, playhouse back, playhouse back, playhouse back. Nah, 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 nah. Oh my god! I remember. Do, do you remember that from last time we did it? Did we? We did. Yeah, that's why I was in shock. I was like, Oh really? Oh my gosh! Yeah, I'm a one-trick pony. <gasps> oh my gosh! When did we? Was this when we did? Probably in the early stages of the podcast. Oh. Yeah. Oh, my Roomies, God. if you remembered that, please let us know. <laughs> I did not. Welcome back, Roomies. Welcome back. Also, that's very cool today. The microphone quality is pretty top-notch at the moment. Much better than our own personal headphones. <laughs> We're back in the studio. This is so lovely. Oh, my God. It's so good to see everyone's faces. Well, beautiful Dom and Priya are in with us right now. Yes. Hello. It's nice to see people in person. Oh, it's good to see people in person rather than... I'm excited at the prospect of none of our guests today um, pointing out that I'm sitting in my bed. (laughs) (laughs) It's a comfy bed. (laughs) Well, let's get right into it. Let's have a little chitter chatter about contemporary work, but more more specifically, technology and performance. The concept freaks me out, but I think that's because I am such a low tech gal. Mm -hmm. Like all through my bachelor's. Um, I couldn't type notes because I yeah. wouldn't remember anything. I had to handwrite everything. I have to handwrite my diary. I've gotten a bit better as I've gotten older. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, we weren't allowed to have laptops when I was at school. <gasps> Whereas for my brother, it was compulsory. They had to have their laptops. Yeah. So I kind of feel like a bit of a technophile. Mm-hmm. So I'm intrigued by the concept of arts and technology, but I'm also very aware of the fact that I'm not going to be a helpful arts and technology practitioner. How about you, like, Charles? I was going to say, like a backseat driver? I'm a backseat driver. Yeah? Let me sit in the backseat. I love it. Oh, love me some... Uh fusion works that have a bit of mm. everything that with dance, performance work and technology and how that can work. Well, yes. We've got a very special episode today. Insanely exciting. <gasps> oh I'm, my gosh. I love when we get, there's a, there's a something about a dancer. You know? Yeah. Well, I'm sure you all remember on our scene 20 roomie. Yeah. Melanie Lane from the Australasian Dance Collective. You know, Yeah. Yeah, that was 20. I'm pretty oh, sure it was That was amazing. But now we're back for more with this wonderful company, with the choreographer for this modern sci-fi forgery. Ooh. And we're going to be speaking to Alistair. I'm so excited. Should we just get straight into it? Let's get into it. Let's go now. Now. Here we go. <laughs> we're, like, we're like, who's going to initiate it? <laughs> this is, we're, we're a bit clunky today, Roomies, because this is our first in-person interview in... Months. May, May. May. It was when we t- spoke to Rosa. Yes. Literally May. Yes. But we've got someone in the studio. We've got Asa. Hello. Hi, guys. Oh, how are you doing this fun? 
Saturday. I'm well, thanks. Yeah. Groovy. We want to talk about uh, this fabulous show coming up, which is Forgery by Australian Australasian Dance Collective. Are you allowed to tell us um, a little bit of the concept of what forgery is about? Because it's quite interesting. Absolutely. So forgery is a dance work that is an experiment in improvised dance. Um, The show features a program that I wrote that instructs the dancers through an entirely new dance work every show. So there's a season of two weeks of shows and every piece will be unique. And the first time the dancers hear the instructions to create the show is on stage live. That's so exciting, but so (gasps) terrifying. Like the concept of just being told what to do. Also, just to clarify, when you say program, you're not talking about a book with pictures and bios in it. Sorry, I'm talking about a computer program. A computer program, that's right. Because you're not just in the dance world. That's right. You have a brain that does a lot of things. Yeah, so my practice spans um, music, dance, choreography and creative coding uh, and a, a bit of electronics and, you know, kind of designing. Yeah. Yeah. What's what's creative coding? I've never heard of that before. Oh, it's a term used for when you use when you um, work with code as a creative outlet, and it's sort of a it's sort of a new form of art, I guess, that has grown up as computers have grown up. Um, yeah. So you know, um, in the same way that sculpting is making three dimensional work, mm. creative coding is making code based creative. Okay. Work. Yeah. Cool. What made you? Decide having a collaboration of dancers and technology? Um, for me, it was sort of a natural progression. So for many years, I've been writing music for dance, um, which is mostly the music I write is for dance. And uh, throughout that time, a lot of that music has been increasingly um, computer generated. So I've, I've, I make systems that make music, I guess you'd say, in different ways. Um, and then... In recent years, I've sort of started to turn my focus more to direction and choreography as opposed to collaboration and performance. And uh, I had some time in the studio and I thought, what would happen if I applied these interests and skills in generative um, creativity, um, but instead of to music, to, to dance? So, so there was a whole kind of plethora of work that I'd done that was already exploring how to generate works and form and and abstract ideas through code and then I just thought oh well this is a great opportunity to now do this choreographically as opposed to musically it's so cool so exciting (laughs) I want to know like generally with theatre everything is so scripted and planned you know you've got to say this exact line for this lighting cue how on earth do you prepare for a show that's going to be different every night is it terrifying Mm. Well, look, I mean, that the onus of that isn't on me, but having said that, uh, sort of writing something that has agency or freedom or the ability to make decisions uh, and then feeling happy with all of the hundreds of thousands of decisions it could make is a challenging idea, right? Like how do you sort of supervise or sort of create something that will represent your, your ideas or your work in an interesting way that you'll be satisfied with? That's daunting. Um, but... A lot of that, a lot of that, a lot of what you're talking about may be what the dancers are experiencing, mm-hmm. and we sort of talked about that um, throughout the process. And, and a lot of the rehearsals are about dealing with that and preparing for that. Um, there, there are lots of ways in which we've kind of designed, um, I don't know what you call it, material or or even just sort of approaches and ways of thinking to be sort of prepared for anything and be really open and yeah. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. Well, when you've got the dancers in the studio then, what does rehearsal look like? 
Well, um, usually we'll run the system at least once a day. So that's that's a 45-minute experience where the dancers, as mentioned earlier, will sort of get talked through the piece. Um, but preceding that, we'll do a bunch of exercises um, to do with improvisation and to do with sort of developing um, skill sets and sort of um, ways to engage with novel ideas. Yeah. Yeah. And you and with forgery as well, there's six dancers in That's total. Correct. Yeah. Do you think if like just for example here, would it be like ten times harder for the process if there were more dancers rather than six? I would imagine that it would get harder the less people you had. Okay. Um, due to the fact that that would put the onus on you for more of the time. So one of the things that it often will do is cast ideas. So it'll it'll say, uh, you know, it'll call one of the dancers out, Josie, this is a solo for you. The rest of the dancers move to the side of the stage or, or find a stillness or, you know, and then that one dancer will fill in four or five minutes of the show creating a solo with what they've been told to do. So if there was only one dancer, they'd have to generate an entire show. So mm-hmm. the fact that there's six, you know, means that there's a bit of distribution as to who's yeah. sort of attending to each moment. And if you had 30 or 50 people, you know, you'd have a 50th of the show to represent. So I think it it goes the opposite way possibly in in how stressful it might be as to how many people there are. (laughs) Mm, Definitely. I'm just trying to wrap my head around it because the thought of being a performer in in that sort of space, I'm such an over-preparer. I love to, you know, a month before we open, know exactly everything that's going to happen. Mm. I'm going to, st- you know, stand here, do this. So is there any sort of coaching or mentoring that you give to the performers to help them be so flexible? Yeah, I mean, th- there is – so a, a lot of the practice is a discussion. Like we spend a lot of time talking and unpacking what it is to be inside of the piece and, yeah, sort of prepare your mind to be open. I mean, it's one of the things that I really love about contemporary dance and contemporary dance culture is that – um, at least in Australia, there's a lot of people who, in the, in that um, clique, who very much value creative or conceptual idea behind work as the most important part of the work. And because of that, there's this kind of desire to commit to an idea if the idea is sound so and kind of clear. And I think because this idea, in as much as there's very many, there's a lot of variables, because the idea is very kind of easy to describe and very kind of straightforward. We're able to sort of commit to the idea and then follow up on what the problems might be to achieve that idea. And I think the idea has value and interest and does show a side of dance and progress a particular practice in dance that has value and has can sort of have the potential to reveal things about what performance can be and, and what dancing is like. Um, one of the things I really love about it is it's got this real sense of... Um, reactiveness and liveness which dance often doesn't if you're really prepared if you spent Mm. weeks kind of uh, you can go to a show that's prepared in such a way that you've explained where as an audience member it can feel like um, you're experiencing something that's very kind of convoluted or or not very authentic Uh, you know something that is something you've done in the past and what this system does is it's it it almost feels more like you're watching a sport or or an activity and I really love that I love watching dance yeah, explored in a much more kind of reactive and authentic way. And this system kind of achieves that in its own way. Have you seen like any interesting moments in the rehearsal process from doing those runs there as well? 
Absolutely. Like that's one of the that's one of the fun things about my job on this project compared to other works that I might make is that every day I get to see an entirely new dance work generated right in front of me. So it's an extremely entertaining experience. Of course, there are, there are runs and shows that I like more than others. You know, like any any artist will by by the nature of uh, creative work will make works that you like more and works that you like less and so this program that's making work on my behalf does the same and I'll some days I'll be like this he's just absolutely rocked my world and then other days I'll have questions about the decisions that were made in the piece and 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 that's and and the development of the of the program uh has happened in a way in which I'll do that and then I'll go back to um the computer and I'll rework the code and kind of try and develop it so that it better represents ideas that I'd be interested in. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Like along the way, have there been moments where you've gone back to the program, back to the code? I mean, like, hey, don't do this again or do more of this. Like, is it, what is the, the tinkering with the tech side of it looking like? So the way it's been written has sort of been like reverse engineering um, rehearsals. So one of, the th- one of my main interests that I had when stepping into this project was the relationship of uh, text and dance. So this idea that you can uh, watch someone do something and then try and describe it to someone else to then do it and and how that kind of process in itself is a creative process. So um, dance is probably best described with dance, not with words. And there's this really interesting thing that happens when you translate it. Um, So the very beginnings of writing the program were doing those things, either writing an idea down and then describing it to dancers, having them try it out, or doing the opposite, watching dancers and then writing down what you think they're doing and then telling another group of dancers or the next, you know, what you wrote down, then take that text, take it home and start to transcribe it into grammar maps, which is one way to document language in programmatic form. And then you just kind of exchange variables within that grammar. Yeah, so it's all... Yeah, it all started with words and dance, really. I'd love to go back. This is a bit off topic. I'd love to go back to when you were younger, like high school, coming out of high school. Were you a techie kid back then as well as a dance kid? Like how did you, how did you carve this career for yourself? Because I've never heard of anyone in this realm of being so clever with technology side of things and also the dance side of things and also the, all the other stuff like you a creative do. component how into do you, it. How do you get to this point? Yeah. Yeah, it's um, – yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who are you? Um, so yeah, I I grew up in a classical music family. My mum's a harp player. She specialised in Debussy and taught a lot of harp. My dad's a violinist. Although I didn't grow up with him in the family home, he he still plays in the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra. So I was. It was very normal, a very normal pathway to, for me to be interested in the performing arts. Um, I did ballet as a child. In high school, I went to like a talent school. I went to the Victorian College of the Arts Secondary Ah. School. Um, uh, So uh, I was exposed to um, the performing arts very young and it's something I wanted to do from a very young age. Um, The reason why I got into technology is through music. So I would uh, do dance as a kind of very disciplined career kind of thing. And then I would write music as a hobby, as a relief. So in high school, I was writing really soppy love songs for crushes and things like that um, as like this personal journey that had no connection with the education system or other people. It was really about my own self-expression. And that just sort of continued. Um, So as I continued to progress my kind of 
um, more structured career as a dancer. I continued to write music and explore the music world. And as I did that, I moved away from acoustic music into electronic music. And that sort of pathway just sort of led me down into electronics and coding, which is now very much um, a large part of that world. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, with technology, do you feel like it's with this whole new world of technology and as well as dance, which is like a completely separate component towards the two, do you feel like it will be more frequent in the future now or would you like to incorporate more into performing? Yeah, I mean, there's, there is a lineage of, of technology and dance that actually is goes back considerably. I mean, if you look at Merce um, Cunningham's life forms, that's quite an old piece uh, or an old system. So there's definitely like, – like technology – as it grows, grows with everything that it that surrounds it. It's like uh, it finds its way into every aspect of culture. So yeah, the two are growing together, and I think it's a kind of unescapable truth that it will be a part of everything we do, mm. including dance, increasingly. Right, and um, I don't have a problem with it. I don't, I don't have a kind of value judgment on it. It's just a kind of truth. Personally, I have a passion for it. I find it extremely interesting, um, which is why I'm exploring it. But I don't think that dance either needs it or doesn't need it. You know, like it's a, dance is an extremely broad, expressive form that exists um, with and without technology. Yeah, but I, yeah, I imagine it'll be used increasingly more due to the fact that technology is increasing more in every aspect of, you know, human existence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My brain is just exploding. Like the thought of we don't, we couldn't have predicted this sort of work existing fifteen years ago. I don't know what fifteen years from now will look like. I mean, AI, AI is kind of one of the interfaces to to technology that I think we will become more and more exposed to, and that's that's a that's an extremely big topic, and it's quite full of issues that that need to be addressed. Um, particularly issues around um, capitalism and big industry and things like that. Um, In fact, that's one of the reasons why I think it's really important that artists who are interested in tech kind of uh, in some way contribute to how tech's used and designed. I think it's, I think it's a good thing that it's happening. It needs to continue so that, so that at least there's a portion of technology that's being developed and designed outside of, sort of value systems to do with money and value systems to do with power um, and value systems that are more centred around, yeah, an individual's uh, perspective. I love this idea that you can sort of somehow implant this portion of your own self into this machine and then have it kind of spit it back out at you. Mm. Um, Recently I became a beta tester for GPT-3, which is one of the most advanced AIs Kind of in human history, there's there's kind of two. There's one, there's one I think it's called Bertie, which is Microsoft and GPT three is Open AI's. What was that like? Um, it's amazing. So I'm still working with it, and it's it it's sort of a, a preview into into the kind of um, relationships we'll be having with computers in the future. And it's pretty um, it's pretty baffling how easily it can pass a Turing test, at least in my opinion. Um, for example, one of the things I've been doing is just having um, interviews with deceased choreographers. So I'll tell the AI, you're a deceased choreographer from the 20th century and we're about to have an interview together. And then the AI will pick, an, pick an, you know, 
a choreographer who has died and and then we'll talk and it will reference that choreographer's work and style and interests and composers that that choreographer's worked with and and we'll have a chat it's like it's pretty scary so gpt3 is a (laughs) oh my god Wow! Yeah, it's nuts. So yeah, GPT three has read about I think it's I think it's about ten percent of the entire internet. So that I mean, I say that I say read. It's it's interpreted in its in the way it interprets things, which is a whole you know um, explanation unto itself that I won't go into. Um, so that would take the amount of information it's taken on would take about about I don't know. I think it's between five and ten thousand years for a human to read. So like for example, I think. The entire Wikipedia as of, like, I can't remember what date it is, like September 2019 or something, is like 3% of its of what it's, you know, kind of reviewed. So it, so there, there is this fascinating thing happening where um, at least one portion of our um, kind of innate abilities, which is memory, is absolutely being – there's a competitor that can, uh, that can kind of beat us in, mm. in this very one – in this one very specific area. And it's, I think that's a really interesting situation to be in, but it also poses some like serious social questions about like, uh, you know, Mm. this kind of power and this kind of, yeah, who should own this kind of power and and how should it be used and things like that. That's interesting. What what will happen to, I don't want to say the human creators because it makes like an us versus AI kind of thing. What, What do you predict the role of the human creator being in an AI world? Oh, much the same as it is now, I imagine. I mean, so long as you don't subscribe to the idea, so long as we avoid subscribing to the idea that any um, AI isn't representing a human and that it's actually an agent in the world, then we'll be okay. As soon as you start to, as soon as you start to pretend that um, a computer is an agent of its own accord, doing things that that a human isn't responsible for, that's when you're in kind of dire straits right that's when mm-hmm. that's when you can literally just kill people and say well the computer did it not the human right so i think even with artists using ai it's their work they're they're responsible for whatever ai does so they're responsible to understand how it works um what it might do and sort of participate in that activity um yeah i mean like any tool set um what it has a potential to do is kind of advance the form but like any tool set, once it's kind of established itself, the kind of novelty of it existing no longer becomes the interest, right? Like well-developed graphics processing was fresh. There was a lot of artworks that kind of just featured that as a gimmick and that, that's all it needed just to see this technology work was like a huge uh, thrill. Um, and one of the things I look forward to as technology moves on is these these. Um, components of technology moving beyond just the newness of them into an actual deep uh, investigation into them, if you understand what I mean. So, yeah. so seeing a, a highly graphic video now in a work isn't enough. There needs to be a reason why it's there and it needs to kind of be a, a, a kind of valuable artistic expression. And um, like, being, like being specific about yeah, it? Being yeah, being specific. How, yeah. how does it relate to your idea? What are you exploring? Yeah. Things like that. It seems that when technology is new, those questions are less important and it's about it's about just the technology. Mm. And what I look forward to as someone who is kind of like have my head quite far in the computer is for um, for it not to be about the fact that I'm working with computers, it's interesting, but the actual specific work that I'm doing because everyone speaks the language, you know. Mm. Yeah. Um, 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. I've not seen this world of technology before, but it's so interesting though. Love it. I remember at uni, one of my teachers had this software and it was, you know, those dolls that doctors have and they're like wooden body dolls and they have like the... Skeleton? No, it's like, it's like they, they, they're in real life. Like they're like a... Is it like a sketching doll for like, uh, re, for you know, for, for, life, for life sketching kind yeah. of? Yeah. But she had an app and you could touch it and it would just do random. And Ooh. so we had, a, we had an assignment where we had to shuffle it five times and pick those five poses and then we had to make something of it. Ooh. And I'm like, that... I, at sounds that like time, my piece. <laughs> well, I was going to say, like, at that time I remember thinking, oh, this is the future. This is what... 80 years from now will be the mainstream thing. I'm like, oh, my God, it's probably old hat by now. <laughs> that's, well, that's very yeah. similar to Merce Cunningham's Life Forms that I mentioned yeah. earlier, which is a program that um, I think there's three – there's been three developments of it. But it's a program that uh, um, displays f- uh, physical forms in a, a screen that's, that presents a three-dimensional virtual space. And you can create choreography using um, computer language and – and yeah, and then you can learn the choreography off these kind of video representations of the body. The first iteration of it was just stick figures. And I think the third now, it actually looks like kind of people, so to speak. Yeah. They kind of look like avatars from Sims, if you know that mm. program. Or, you know, very, very basic kind of avatars. I want to know if we could do like a, a bit of a flip here. Because we're talking about a lot about technology, which I love. Because you've worked with multiple dance companies as well. What's it been like having your, you know, creative practice? It's pretty specific of what your creative practice is. What's it been like working with multiple companies and having that with you? As someone who has worked, I mean, the longest contract I've had as an artist has been three months. So I've spent an entire, what's it now, probably 15 years or something working professionally um, in, in bursts of time that long or shorter, predominantly shorter. Uh, and, and what's so exciting about that is that um, I get to be a part of a kind of mesh of ideas and network of knowledge. Um, and I think that that probably has to do with why my interests are as broad as they are. So as opposed to sort of becoming a, a one-trick pony or working extremely hard on one particular skill, I found myself continually um, adapting my uh, work around it's generally a, a theme or idea that an artist is exploring and because of that I think I've kind of acquired a taste for that way of working and that's now how I work so all of my works are centered around a kind of concept or an idea or something I'm trying to unpack and everything kind of shoots away from that um, having said that though there are like uh, specific artists who I've worked with a lot who have had a profound impact on my interests and in my work those being um, predominantly Lucy Guerin, who's mentored me for many, many years. In fact, uh, I went through a mentorship program that through the Queensland government here called Spark, Spark Mentorship, um, in like 2007, I think it was. Um, and sh- and I've danced in many of her works, probably seven or eight of her pieces oh, wow. since then. So so I so I you know I'm a I have um, repeat experiences with choreographers. Another one, Anthony Hamilton, who, who now um, directs Chunky Move in Melbourne. I've worked a lot with him as sound designer and performer. Um, so you do kind of build these long-term relationships with artists. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it's all project-based. So, and, and usually the projects will kind of span two, three, sometimes four years. But in that four years or two years, uh, you might work for between four to um, usually a maximum of about 12 or 13 weeks on a show. So it'll be kind of these little two weeks here, three weeks there, four weeks there and a season mm. kind of thing. Yeah. Mm. Do you feel like it's important making connections in the industry? 
Yeah, I, it's, the, the way I feel that I've managed to keep afloat is that, at least I believe, I'm a genuine enthusiast. So um, it, for me, it hasn't been um, a kind of a planned out, a career plan. What it has been is um, a um, incapacity to stop. So I, um, I just uh, like what I do to a degree that I will seek it out at, at, to any you know, at any cost. So, um, and I, and yeah, I think that's generally what you find out there in the independent art scene because it, if you need to like something to that degree because it, rejection and failure is a, a massive component to existing mm-hmm. that way. Um, and yeah, and it's, um, it's hard to be rejected if, um, success is your meter or your value. Um, but because mine isn't, mine is my, the things that I value is the work that I'm doing. Like the actual, I remember this teacher in high school. He said the reward for, for hard work is more hard work, and and that kind of resonated with me. I'm like, yeah, if you actually like the work, um, then being told it's no good or not yet or not now isn't a problem because you just keep on working. So, you know, the problem of like nice guys finish last isn't a problem if you like the race, right? In fact, you probably want to finish last because you want to be in the race for longer. So, yeah, um, yeah, that's the way personally that I've, I feel that I've navigated that situation. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Yes. I'd love to know as well where you see your career going. Like is, is there a type of work? that you want to be working on, you know, decades from now? Or is there, are you, you know, going with the flow, going with the technology and seeing where your heart takes you along the way? Yeah, I guess I, without choosing to, subscribe to the value system that is an artist um, building a body of work as the kind of focus of their uh, future. So for me, everything that I do is... It's usually focused on the actual singular work. So I won't, it's very rare that I'll do something like a, a work of art as a kind of stepping stone to the next work of art. For me, I'll do it because I have a genuine interest in that particular thing. And then usually the kind of length of time it makes to produce that all the way through to presenting it, you've kind of gone on this arc of a relationship where you've experienced learning about it and developing it to a degree where you kind of land it and then you're ready for another kind of, you know, submersion into a new idea. If, if you're still interested in this, in a similar world, then you just come up with another work mm, you know, yeah. based on the same interest. So, yeah. so for me, it's, I don't have this like long plan, career plan or whatever. All I, all I know is that if I continue to, continue on this kind of cyclic um, strategy of like genesis of an idea, development and presentation, that there's a kind of rollover that happens. And, and, and if at any time I feel that, what, that I don't have anything that I'm interested in doing, that'll probably be, probably be the time that I stop doing mm. that, you know. We've probably got like a few young dancers or people who want to be in like the career and have a bit of a taste of it. So what would be your one key of advice when it comes to entering the world of dance or having a bit of an insight of... Golden nugget. The golden the nugget golden of advice. The golden nugget of advice. <laughs> oh, sorry, 
Uh, I've got a very specific one that comes to mind just because we were talking about it oh, uh, yes. in the last rehearsal. And it's kind of funny if you're a dancer and if you're not, you probably won't get it at all. But um, w- when I was training in dance, there were periods uh, – sorry, when I was training as a youth and also as a child in dance, there were periods where I didn't um, find the idea of memorising the exam material very exciting. I loved dancing. I loved moving my body, moving to the music. I loved the different kind of dynamic ideas behind each kind of exercise, you know. Like, for example, in ballet, like I loved Allegro. I loved um, – uh, so um, – so, I would find myself um, in in exam situations, or at least in situations where I'm supposed to be kind of producing with my body a, a sequence of steps that I've memorised, having not memorised them. And so I would be surrounded by other people who had memorised them, and I'd have to kind of like fake uh, <laughs> knowing the exercise, right? Yeah. And the other day we were talking about forgery and and how to approach forgery, and it felt like <laughs> I'd accidentally developed a skill by doing this that's perfect for this piece, if you understand that's, what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, about kind of, yeah, how do you sort of use all of your sensory faculty to kind of fake your way through mm. uh, a confident expression of an idea that you don't know what it is. Yeah. Um, so I think if you're, if you're a young dancer out there and you haven't ever tried to do a piece of choreography amongst people who do know what they're doing without knowing it, give it a go. I think it's a really interesting exercise to do, especially if you're someone who needs to feels that they need to be prepared for everything and never wants to be caught out. It's I think it's very important life skill and dance skill to actually do the opposite of that and be completely unprepared and try and present as confident and prepared. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a very specific thing to try out if you're a <laughs> dancer. That, but I think it's a really cool exercise and I kind of happened upon it just due to the fact that I was I don't know, a bit of a rebel at, at points in my training. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but more generally, I think um, just if you want to um, continue being an artist, just con- just make sure that you grow the things that you love and always put a bit aside just for you, you know. Like that's definitely what I did with my music practice and, and for me it's been a really great kind of thing that I can turn to when the world seems not to care about what I want to do or say. I've got this interest that doesn't really regard the world and I can just go and make music and enjoy it. It's all for you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm. Oh, nice. Uh, I love the idea of copying. (laughs) 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 I was a shocker for it too back in the day. I just can't – I could never learn choreography on the spot. No. I'd I'd learn it and my brain would know it, but my body couldn't couldn't do it at the same time. But I come back next week and it's like finally I've got it. But in the – oh, it was a shocker. I was an absolute shocker for it. I was always in the back line. So I didn't know what I was doing in the rehearsal when they were doing the spacing. I had to come back next week and I'd know it. So I love this. I'm going to – Yeah, I reckon it should be a part of training. I reckon it's one of the things that's missing in in sort of general dance education is this Mm. – and there is a – as I mentioned earlier, there's like a whole kind of history of improvised dance. But this is like such a simple way to practice improvisation. Mm. Uh, It's very specific – idea but i think it i think it's cool just do it yeah. i love it just go to a class without knowing any of the choreography don't listen to it when they're telling you how to do it and then just, just don't listen out. to them whatsoever yeah, totally. <laughs> go just, stand in the corner, yeah, go and, stand the corner and then try and smash it out when they do a run yeah. <laughs> i'm probably gonna get in trouble for like in ca- like kids are probably gonna now like injure themselves and like you know go to some class and come out with a broken ankle and they're gonna be me too yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do it safely. Do any of the things I just said to do, do it, do it safely. Yeah. Oh, goodness, that's amazing. I'm trying to think of how I incorporate that with my kids as well and be like, I'll just like find a video of, I'll put like a, 
clip on and be like, just copy along, go. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> kids, kids playing do that more than adults, I think. Like, you know, um, when you that's kind of how you learn as a child, you know, sing along, dance along, those kind of things, you know. Yeah. But we kind of lose that. We like, yeah. You know, yeah. Oh, for sure. Play, yeah. Well, it's been an absolute whirlwind of fun having you coming onto the podcast. And, and so thanks. enlightening. I, ne- I never would have predicted that this is where like the future of dance was going. Yeah. I'm excited. Before we end the, the episode with you, we normally ask this question to all of our guests that come onto the show. Theatre House is known as the home of theatre as well. Um, you've been to multiple companies um, throughout your creative practice. You've also been internationally and also around the States. The question is, where do you call home? Oh, um, I was about to, I was just about to say my address, <laughs> oh, no. which is like probably a really bad move on we a public forum. Yeah. Um, but no, my I have a specific home that my, I live at with my wife and our cat. Um, so that's, I would call that home. Um, yeah. We only recently moved there, but yeah, anywhere that all three of us are together, I think is pretty much home. I just oh. thought to finish too, if you wanted, I've got the, I've actually got, so the Forgery Project has an online portal and I can yes. show you what it sounds like. Can, like. Yes. Yeah. That's amazing. So, Thank you. Bounce in an incomplete way. So there are obviously uh, pauses between each instruction and there's sound design as well, which you're hearing now. Yeah. Bounce a mundane cha-cha dance. Doing some bouncing. So this section that's playing right now is called Variation on a Theme and it sort of develops an idea and then adds to it and then progresses. A mundane cha-cha dance inside a cliff. So it's like, is it like adding on layers to it? Oh, wow. I have to imagine a group of people doing this right now. Yes. A cliff full of octagons to enact. That's so cool. That is and then, yeah, if you just sort of run it again, it'll just like choose an entirely different idea and do a totally different show. You will be abruptly standing facing the front of the space. And you will be very quickly letting your frame sense the space. You will be starting to put your fingers together. You will be starting to evenly take them up the inside of your body as if your fingers were grabbing a photo album and presenting it to the side. It's very specific. You will be bringing your fingers to head level and looking to the side. You will be separating the fingers and reaching towards the side. Both your elbows will be starting to elongate. Then dropping the photo album, you will be taking 10 shifts to the upcoming 10 counts. And 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, crazy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I can imagine oh. the dancers just loving that. <laughs> yeah. It's sort of like a strange kind of um, almost like a meditation slash kind of procedure. It sort does, of, yeah. 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 So Gosh. book your tickets to Forgery at the Brisbane Fest, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Who knows what you'll be in for, but it will be something new every night, which is oh. amazing. 
oh, innocent. I think you have to like buy those little passes. What do you call it? If they offer the pass, yeah, to go every single day and watch it there. That would See, be nine times t- tenth one for free. Little stamp card. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but it's been absolutely amazing having you coming into the podcast and discussing all about forgery, all about technology, creative practice. It's been oh, an absolute whirlwind of fun. Also, where can if people are interested in forgery, where can they book their tickets or learn more about Australasian Dance Collective? So, to learn about Australasian Dance Collective. Go to Australasian Dance Collective com and to learn about forgery it's part of brisbane festival go to the brisbane festival website where you can book your tickets it's on for two weeks running from the 22nd of september libra season (laughs) star sign here here we go (laughs) honestly thank you so much for coming in we do appreciate it and we cannot wait for forgery thanks guys thank thank you. you Playhouse Pigs. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Now, if you're excited to see the techno computery dance world that Alistair has created, the algorithm for forgery runs from the 22nd of September to the 2nd of October at Cupax Cremorne Theatre. It is super exciting to see this one. We literally, the second that Alistair walked out, we're like, okay, so we need to buy our tickets. We need to hop online. We need to, get, we need to organise it. I'm yeah. so excited for that show. Super exciting. <laughs> another, another project we're super excited for. Now, this pick was cancelled last year because of <coughs> Miss Coco. Oh, no. They've returned this year. They've already done their 2021 show, but here they are to take two of their 2020 show. It is, of course, the 24-hour musical project. Our podcast king, Zane C. Webber, he's our producer from mm-hmm. That's Not Canon Productions. He is actually in the core project team for the 24-hour musical project. Ooh, nice. Yeah, basically the concept... Performers arrive, they've got 24 hours to rehearse, <gasps> learn their lines. They don't know what the show is going in, neither do we, the audience. Oh, 24 hours no. later, lights up, show goes on. That is crazy. It's crazy. So we can't tell you much about what the show is because we frankly don't know. <laughs> um, there's a very small core team of people who know, maybe Zane knows. But basically you get a cast of actors and creatives, you announce the show, cast it, give them 24 hours, rehearse it, and then, hey presto, showtime. So if you want to see some of Southeast Queensland's finest put on a coffee-induced, sleep-deprived riot of a show, <laughs> please make sure you catch the 24-hour musical project on the 3rd of October. And Set that in. You'll find out the show 24 hours before you see it. Heading over to Toowoomba now for a family day of fun. The Empire Theatre is presenting Thrive on Arts. It's a creative space for young people, families and the wider community that celebrates play, imagination, creativity and storytelling. We love all kinds of art and we love that there's a space for children to explore creativity. Now this event will take place from the 23rd to the 26th of September. So cute, eh? Indeed, indeed. I've always wanted to go up to the Empire Theatre. It's a bit of a trip, trip, but I think I need to do it. We have to do like an excursion. We could do an excursion. Go, we'll hire a bus. <laughs> oh, the, the roomy bus? Roomy bus. Oh, Just like Priscilla, but it's Playhouse Silla. And it's all purple and decked out. And Brooke and, be... and we'll, we'll, someone goes up the top of the, what do you call it, that situation? Yeah, sitting on, on, the, on the shoe. Yes. I'll the guy Pierce. I'll do it. <laughs> With a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, goodness. What's the next Playhouse pick? I'm so glad you asked. Well, I'm sure all of our roomies remember our scene 14 roomies, the dynamic duo that were like, you know what? We're going to make our own theatre company. It's Lynch and Patterson, fresh off the success of their blockbuster Jesus Christ Superstar. They are holding auditions for their next show-stopping production, arguably one of the biggest musicals of all time. It is Les Miserables. Oh, no. Anyway, (laughs) auditions are happening from the 22nd to the 25th of October. 
So if you want to march in that barricade and hear the people sing, head on over to Lynch and Patterson's (laughs) website for more info. Now, if you do want to head on like our socials and learn more about what's happening with our Playhouse picks, what's going on with the podcast, head over to our socials at Playhouse Pod or the Playhouse Podcast on the Cheeky Facebook. And also we're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, you name it. Well, it's been so much fun today. This is the type of episode where I'm just processing every single thing that he said. What did you think of it? I spent a lot of the time listening to him and being like, my brain could never do this. Yeah. It's so specific, so techy. So cool. And I love that there's more opportunities now for artists who are good at a variety of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Gone at the olden days of just being a dancer. Yeah. Or just being, you know, one thing. Like, I, lo- I love that mm. Alistair has taken full advantage of all of his talents. Yeah, for sure. And I love what... Um what he's doing with forgery at the moment and the process of how it's all coming together mm. and the importance of technology will have for this show as well. And to hear a snippet of it as well, mind-blowing. If you get the chance to see forgery, if you're around Brisbane for Brisbane Fest, oh, get book them. those tickets. Yeah, definitely. It'll be well worth it. Oh, well, it was a joy having Alistair in the, in the, in the studio. How yeah. was that? Being, this was our first interview back in the studio since May. Oh. Crazy. That's like four months. That's insane. Four it's, months. Oh my ish. gosh. Yeah. And we're back. We're back. And but well, now we're not back. It's the end of the episode, so we're gonna go. <laughs> oh, bye. <laughs> Bit dark, well, isn't it? Yeah. Thank you, Rumi's, for listening. I hope you're having a fabulous time. What's my life advice for today? Ooh. Maybe um, call a loved one, have a chat. Oh yes, I'll do that. Actually, have a coffee. Have a chillax. All right, Rumi's. We're going to say goodbye. <laughs> Bye, Rumi. Bye, everyone. Bye. Really? Yes. And see. So oh. much easier in person. <laughs>